Are we going? Guess what I did right before we started recording? What did you do? I I, I just have not put the kids to bed? No, I, I googled an anagram generator to anagram your name. Really? Yeah. And That's did really you know, sweet of you. Did you know that Flarity is an anagram of fatherly? Shut Did you know that? Up. Do it. Do it right now. Get a piece of paper. Do it in your mind. Whatever you have to do. Huh. It is. <laughs> Fatherly. I'm just saying. It's a coincidence, but... But is it? You know? Really makes you think. Huh? Hmm. I maybe um, owed some money. Also, it anagrams... If you anagram Adam Flaherty, you get Father Malady. So there's that. M-A-L-A-D-Y? Yeah, not like malady, but like (laughs) malady, you know, like a disease. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What about, uh, what about check it? I don't get anything very interesting, really. Just a bunch of mishmash, you know? What's the best one? Uh, Cratch McKee. (laughs) Okay. Which is just a great, like, pen name if I ever wanted to maybe write a book or something. (laughs) Yeah. Cratch. Cratch McKee. Isn't it interesting to think that if somebody was named Cratch McKee and they put their name into the anagram generator, it would spit out Mark Checkett. You might get Mark Checkett. And this, well, this is Modern Dadhood, the podcast, an ongoing conversation about the joys, the challenges, and the general insanity of being a dad in this moment. My name is Mark Checkett, and I am, I am a, a dad to twin boy four-year-olds and me i'm adam flaherty yeah father malady <laughs> father malady and my two daughters are eight and five years old i want to take a quick moment because sometimes i feel like we don't say it enough to remind listeners that we are not experts on fatherhood we bring experts into our show to enlighten us from time to time but we ourselves are just two dads figuring it out as we go and talking through it with other dads in a way that's hopefully entertaining and relatable to you, uh, the listener. Anyway, who's our guest today, Mark? Today's guest is a wonderful gentleman by the name of Ben Feller. I'm really excited for our listeners to hear this, this conversation because um, it was a great chat. Ben Feller is a great dude. He also used to be a, uh, what do you call it? When you're the chief White House correspondent for the Associated Press, what do you call it? <laughs> what do you call it? <laughs> is that what it's called? Is that it's, is that the title of it? Yeah, he was the former oh, okay. chief White House correspondent for the Associated Press. That's it. <laughs> what do you? Call he used it? to do that. <laughs> We're too slap happy to record an episode of the podcast right now. <laughs> well, our chat with Ben was great because it was all centered around looking at uh, issues that your kids are experiencing, helping them to look at those situations with perspective. We will play back our recent chat with Ben Feller in a few minutes after I ask you a question, Mark. You have questions for me? Yeah, a question. And I'll ask you after this. All right, so Mark, check it. 
here's the cue I have for you. Shoot, I'm here. Throw it at me. The boys are four and a half years old. Have you guys hit any milestones recently? It's a great question. I, the, fir- the first thing that comes to mind, I don't really know if it's a milestone, but this is kind of a new thing. Um, they have started to like really fight with one another in the way that like brothers do, which like is kind of silly to say like with their knuckles. No, 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 no not like, well, some, sometimes it gets a little <laughs> physical, but I would say actually the thing that's new about this is that while they still do sort of get physical with one another and just sometimes just end up pummeling each other until somebody starts crying, they do more often now just argue with each other and they use their words a lot more. And it leads to this like back and forth, this like really like the, like the quintessential like two kids in the backseat arguing with each other, you know, like, no, your foot's on my side. Yeah, mm-hmm. but you're, yeah, but you're talking towards me or I, you know, like the dumb stop looking bickering. at me. Yeah. Yeah. The stop looking at me, all that kind of nonsense. Um, but I don't know. They just, they never really acted that way with one another before, you know, and I just, maybe because they're young and they're now getting, you know, they're just getting a lot better at using their words and describing their feelings. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. that's a milestone, but it, it, but it sometimes you do need to intervene, right? You can't let it go on too long. Right. Sometimes mm-hmm. you just got to get in there and intervene more, probably more so because it's just, it's very, very annoying when they're just at each other all the time for the teeniest little insignificant things. And they just pounce so like on the, each other. The good thing about it is that now you can get in there and you can kind of join their little conversation and try to like help them through it also with words. And I'm saying like, if it was just a, a, a physical fight, I mean, you can't, Using words in those moments is sometimes totally fruitless. You just have to physically get in there, separate them, you just in have their to own separate corners. them <laughs> yeah. into their own corners and just let them, you know, calm down. Right. The goal is that you're helping them to look at things a little bit more clearly the next time something comes up. Right. And maybe it right. diffuses itself naturally when they realize, hey, maybe it's not worth the energy of arguing over like who's staring at who when then when the other right. doesn't want to be looked at you know? right um, but that actually is a great segue into our chat with ben feller so why don't we play it back why don't you just do one of the stings and then after the sting ben will be here Ben Feller is a communications advisor and a former award-winning chief White House correspondent for the Associated Press. He's also the author of a new children's book called Big Problems, Little Problems. Ben, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, We're very excited to chat with you. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Adam. Great to be here. Before we get into talking about your book and the process and all of that, um, let's start with this. Can you tell us a little bit about your family? Um, your son's name is Sam. Is that right? Son's name is Sam. Yeah. He's a, a 10 year old boy about to turn 11 here in June. Uh, he's uh, he knows way more about uh, Star Wars 
and Marvel than uh, I ever thought he would. <laughs> <laughs> so that dominates our current conversation. Uh, and we live in, in New York City. I'm from central Pennsylvania, but he's become a, a city kid. So all is good with our family. Thanks for asking. So we want to obviously chat uh, about your brand new book, Big Problems, Little Problems. Mark and I have both read it. We really enjoyed it. And, uh, the writing is great. The illustrations are wonderful. It's a very kind of simple story, but it addresses some pretty big concepts. I wonder if you can maybe just start out by giving us the elevator pitch that I'm sure you've refined for it as you as you chat about it with folks. Well, first of all, thank you for having that impression of the book, because that is how it's intended. And in fact, as people are starting to see it, I'm getting that reaction a lot right? as a as a simple story about solving life's problems, making life a little bit easier. But there's also a, a deeper message there, particularly for parents as they're reading this to their kids, that we could all stand to have more perspective about how we live our lives and how we solve our problems and what we model for our kids. And so the story is called Big Problems, Little Problems, because the father helps his son understand that whatever is troubling him in the moment is not the big, encompassing, overwhelming deal that he thinks it is, but rather than condescending to him by saying it's not that big of a deal, hurry up, uh, he understands that to the kid it is. And so the, the goal there is to show, not tell, get down on one knee, breathe, slow it down, get on his level and help him solve the problem, give him techniques to do it. Deep breaths, showing him how to do it. He knows how to do it the next time. Have a handshake, have a hug, go on to the next thing. And um, the reason I decided to write the book and really in the moment when I felt I had a story was when my son saw me in a moment of frustration and panic, because guess what? As dads, we have them too. Oh, and yes. He, he, uh, he felt it and saw it and said, Daddy, don't get frustrated. Big problem or little problem? He had heard me say that so often and instinctively knew this is a time when I can help my dad. And that was when I thought, okay, first of all, that's, that's beautiful and very affirming. But also, there might be something here as a writer to capture that and then decide what to do with it. And that's been a long process from that moment in the car when I was stuck in traffic to today when we're talking about the book. So it's, it's really a fun moment. That's amazing. When you said that, you know, the moment that you knew that you had a book, uh, reminds me of, uh, my, I have two daughters who are eight and five and a couple of years ago, my eight year old came home from school and somehow something happened and, and she introduced this phrase that she had learned at school from her teacher, which was, does the reaction match the problem? Right. Hmm. Which is essentially the same thing. You know, it's it's are you, you know, trying to look at this with some perspective and, and are you reacting in a way that is appropriate for what the actual problem is? In other words, are you flipping out about something that you really don't need to be? The funny thing is, you know, now when we occasionally will we'll throw that back to her. Hey, is does your is your reaction really matching the problem right now? She's <laughs> smart enough to say it is even when it obviously isn't. <laughs> right. But and there's an important point there, too, because if we if we act that way to other adults and we say you're overreacting, calm down. Mm. Our thinking behind it might be we're, we're looking at this objectively. We're not invested in whatever the problem is like you are. So it doesn't seem to match. But if you're the person who's feeling frustrated, that's just not helpful, right? My experience is people don't say, oh, good point. I'll react more calmly now that you said calm down. So, <laughs> you know, 
it, it's easier to do it with kids because they are expecting us to teach. And we do have the life perspective that they don't. But if we can model this in all of our work, then in our lives and our frustrations, then I think that's the better way to to help other parents. Yeah. You know, and and the book has had that reaction for some people I know who said, I'm going to start doing this yeah. in my head. Is this a big problem or a little problem? Because somebody's watching. My daughter's watching. My son's watching. Uh, and that's like the added level of satisfaction from the book is that we're we're hitting we're hitting a message for everybody. It's it's funny. I mean, when I started reading the book, right, I I kind of tried to read it. I mean, as as much as I I could, I kind of tried to read it from the perspective of like a, a kid. And I'm I'm halfway through it. I'm reading it, and I'm realizing, boy, there's a message that speaks so clearly to me as a dad about taking a beat and slowing down and being present. You know through a moment so that you can sort of either shift or maintain a perspective. It was just funny to me as I'm reading it, that, 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 that when I, when I finished, I was like, well, I just learned, I just learned a good valuable lesson. I wonder, I wonder how intentional that was of Ben to try to sort of almost layer in that like, yeah, it's a kid's book, but Hey, parents pay attention. Yeah, no, absolutely. That was, that was exactly when I thought this is worth writing because of the symmetry there of the kid teaching the parent. I think that's when it moves from here are some techniques to help your kids with anxiety to here are some techniques for all of us to take a big step back and remember that not everything is a big problem. And I've, I've tried to embrace this so often, particularly during and coming out of the pandemic, mm. when you could just look at something, if you take a second and say, the thing that I'm so upset about right now, I'm not going to care about next week. Mm-hmm. You know, we used to say like a year from now, but like even mm-hmm. next week, I mean, my, my printer wasn't working this week and it was so frustrating because it should have worked. And, you know, and the guy finally had to get some help and they reset the router. I'm like, I reset the router. Why did it work for you? He's like, I don't know. <laughs> you know? And so, mm-hmm. and then it started working again. I'm like, okay, but I lost some time there, but I actually got through that process faster because of thinking big problem or little problem. And you say, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, in the moment, if you need something done and it just stops working, it's frustrating. That's what frustration is, that feeling that you can't control. So I did mean it that way, uh, Mark, was is the lesson for parents too. And particularly, I think the other line in here that's so important to me is the role of dads, because you're thinking about this as, as uh, techniques for helping children, in this case, my son, uh, understand the difference between big problems and little problems and how to control the situation. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, that's a great, that's a great message. And I mean, I just started to think to myself, you know, you don't, I I could picture a lot of books on my kid's shelf where the, the character, no matter, no matter what type of behavior they're modeling is tends to be a mom type figure, you know, and it's, it's not nearly as often just, you know, that the, the, the parent character in the book, for example, is is a dad or or even own or me more specifically only a dad right um and that right. that definitely uh it definitely jumped out at me and i and i thought it was very um interesting um and good valuable you know if it's not something that we're seeing on our kids shelves it certainly should be well i'm glad that that landed with you the way it did because if you think about it you know again sort of the some of the the messages within the book is I'm trying to think about strength, like the strong dad as mm. getting down on one knee and uh, talking to his son eye to eye and giving him a hug every time his affirmation of a lesson learned and moving on. That is strength. 
That's the modern yeah. dad, right? And also, if you were to read this book and it was a mom and a son or a mom and a daughter and it, everything else was the same, you wouldn't finish that book and say, I just don't understand. Where was the dad? Right? You just think right. intuitively like that was a nice book, right? Right. And so right. if you read this book and say, well, that's interesting. Like, why is it a dad and son? What's the situation there? Where's the mom? Like, that should be just as accepted and normal. Exactly. Right? And for a lot of people, I think it is. But, but part of the goal here is to say, no, this situation is happening in homes everywhere. And so let's give some voice to it. Let's give some joy to it. And, and if, if you're a dad who doesn't think this way, that's not my job. I wasn't raised that way. My dad was stoic. I don't give hugs. He'll figure it out. You know, then, then maybe you should take a beat and think about the way that you're modeling what strength and compassion is. I wanted to shift for a minute and talk about the uh, illustrations in the book because they, they're so beautiful. I think they do such an amazing job of, um, of conveying the the chaos of the the problem scenes, both with Sam's problems and with your dad problem that pertains to work, uh, I would love to hear about how you uh, how you met the person who illustrated your book and sort of what you were hoping to find in a collaboration with an illustrator. Yeah, well, first of all, I I completely agree with the illustrations and the the life and power they give to the story. And I, uh, I deserve no credit for that, but I share your takeaway from it. Uh, and you can imagine since this is my story, the story of, of my son and I, when I saw those illustrations, it's, it was, it's remarkable. So basically once I submitted the manuscript, they ran that process and I was completely a student. They had worked with the illustrator before Merced Lopez, who's based in Spain. And they knew her work. She uh, did some initial sketches. They showed those to me. And then as we got closer to it, you know, it really came to life. Um, they had some different versions of the cover. Uh, but yeah, the, the, to your point, uh, Adam, like the, the frustration of the zipper, you know, there's this sort of gnarly zipper scene, right? And then there's, there's a scene where, you know, Sam asked the dad, do you ever get frustrated now that I know what you're talking about? Is that grownups? Like, oh, hell yeah. Grownups get frustrated. Mm -hmm. and, and so then she shows this maze. And we're both caught in the maze, but there's a way out. I never would have thought of those things. Yeah. I mean, I think it directly speaks to the, um, the realness of the characters. I think the, the, uh, that, that, uh, that an illustrator who's at a different part of the world can relate so well, uh, and, and, and not only just relate, but al allow that relationship to, to manifest in, in these illustrations that, that she, cause I it really feel like it, it sort of like really hits the nail on the head with, with the, the feeling in those moments. I feel yeah. like it, it does such a good job of dis displaying the, the feeling and the, the scene, I don't want to spoil the book for anybody who's not, who's wrote, but there's, there's the scene with the coffee cup and the papers. I like, I have lived that scene many <laughs> <No>. times. <laughs> so I felt, I felt good, good in a moment there knowing that like, okay, this is a thing that other people experience too. Well, Mark, first of all, that relatability of that scene is another through line of this book. It's that when people read this, that the example could be the coffee cup or the missed train you know, or the, the phone battery dying, they forget the charger. It doesn't matter what the specifics are. The point is we all live that. Like, oh, well, I just went through something like that. And so the relatability matters in terms of your interest in the book and wanting to ensure, share this with your kids. So you mentioned how your career, your professional experience 
informed the process of writing the book in some ways. I feel like the book is is this great reminder about, you know, the importance that we assign to certain things, um, which, you know, it, looking at it objectively aren't always as important as it feels like they are in the moment. Um, You know, we get anxiety about deadlines or about doing a really good job on something. Um, Obviously that ties into your career as well Um, as the former chief white house correspondent. uh, I would imagine that all of your work was, was deadline driven. Is there a parallel there with the book as well? Yeah, I I think so. In, In, I guess a couple ways come to mind. First of all, the point I made earlier about when a young child is overwhelmed by something, they don't have the perspective yet to know, okay, I missed my bus, but I, we could still make it there. And the teacher's not going to be mad because I've gone through this before. And it's like, they don't have that perspective. And so it's, it's the end of the world. And so we have to show it to them. Right. So that's part of parenting is, is, is taking the time to, to put yourself in their shoes until they can get there themselves. But the other way I think it applies is when I covered the white house, there were cases where it was genuinely life and death. Mm. You know, I, I think of a, uh, some of it was, was more mundane than people would think, but there were days where, you, you know, in my role in covering something for the AP, I was often the, the first one to go out to something or when the AP covered it, it was considered real, like AP is reporting. Right. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't a, a news conglomerate. That was often me, my decision to put out the news alert. So one time I was on a, a trip to Afghanistan with President Obama and, you know, those are secret trips. If, if you let the word get out that you could scuttle the whole trip because it's, a, in, it's truly intense security precautions and risks there. And so uh, I was on this trip and we were about to land and we had been told, listen, that the flights of the plans have changed. Uh, you know, we're not going to go. Uh, to Bagram, we're going to stay in Kabul. You guys are allowed to call your desks and and tell them to change the stories before they. And so it was a lot to do. And when I called in, the uh, my colleagues had said, "Listen, the news is already out," and I was just stunned. Right, so we're screaming into Afghanistan in the cover of darkness. And I'm like, and I would say that again, like ABC had reported that you guys you guys are already there. Well, I'm like, well, that's really dangerous because we're not here. They had the story wrong, and there's a whole reason why they got this leak and they put it out. And so. And so here we are, and it's madness in the back of Air Force One. And I had to make a gut decision like, well, now that it's already out, but they have the story wrong. Instead of telling you to fix the prepare copy and we'll give you a green light 20 minutes from now, I, I got to just, just report that we're landing now. Okay, so I unilaterally decided that the president of the United States was now entering Afghanistan, right? I didn't have time to, to check with anybody. And so... Uh, I, I get nervous even just thinking about that, but I knew it was the right call journalistically. And then we landed and we got out on the tarmac and, you know, the press secretary came up to me and said, what the hell? And then somebody else said, actually, it's our fault. We put up a military feed and people figured out he was coming, but they had the wrong location because. And so when you think about that, Adam, and, you know, fast forward to all the projects I've worked on for consultants, all the times that I've screwed up, you know, it, living life in Brooklyn, it's like, OK, calm down. You know, to myself, because <laughs> that actually put the the security of the people on the plane and the president and others at stake because there was something that was, you know, egregiously wrong. And I felt an uh, opportunity and responsibility corrected. The rest of the stuff, it's like, you know, once you go through something like that, it's OK. And so it informs my my mode of living and also, you know, writing a children's book. It's like, OK, I hope this is successful. 
I hope people love it. I'm really excited about it. But isn't the point that we did it? We did it. We're sharing it. We're being creative. Enjoy it. You know, don't measure every moment by did you win or lose? You know, it's like I, I did that part of life. And I'm just trying to, to enjoy more in the moment. Did the perspective, the worldview that you had, because I imagine it's unique, right? In the position that you, you, you held, mm-hmm. you know, did that change in some way when you became a dad or did having that perspective or that unique vantage point, did it scare you in any way or, or make the, the idea of becoming a dad or bringing someone into this world any, any difficult for you at that, any more difficult for you at that time? Yeah. Yeah. I probably come at the answer maybe a little differently than, than, than you might think in the sense that life got so jammed together there. So that story I was telling about Afghanistan and my ascendance to chief White House correspondent came about at right about the same time that Sam was born. And so, um, I was fortunate in that I had done a lot of living by the time I got to that stage, but I also was so consumed with so many things happening in in life um, that it put, you know, a lot of pressure on being a dad and and things that, that I would certainly do differently because I was pulled in different directions and it affected my thinking and affected my stress level, affected my discipline. And, you know, ultimately you can't do all those things. Well, at least I couldn't. I saw some people doing them well. I would argue they didn't have the same pressures that the AP carries. Um, but I also saw a lot of people who weren't doing them well, you know, and I just did not want to be the, the dad pushing his kid with one hand on the swing when on the phone talking to a source, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, to make that long story short, um, when I moved into a different career, Um, you know, I was, I was still married at the time, um, then got divorced and, and Sam's mom and I are very close and we, we have joint custody and co-parent Sam. Um, but when I decided to shift careers and I left journalism in large part, not just because I was sort of burned out and had done it for 20 years and covered at the highest level, but I did feel that since like, this is never going to get better. But one thing that's not going to change is he's, (laughs) I'm going to lose these moments with him. And so I tried, decided to make not just a career change, but a quality of life change to say, I want to do work that's important. I want to be thinking and strategizing and writing, but I really would like to be at every single important event in his life that I can. Mm-hmm. And because I shifted into uh, a consulting world in which I work really hard, but have more flexibility on the schedule, and this is pre-pandemic when we all started working and living differently, I have been. You know, I, I, I've been, I've been there for him and he has felt it and it's manifested in the book. Right. And so I think that, that was the way it, it changed my thinking. And I don't know how that would have gone, Mark, if I became a dad, you know, at 32 or 35, I got to the white house at 36. Yeah. So I don't know how, but, but, you know, I will tell you that expectations went higher and higher and higher. It's not like they leveled out. You know, the first time I interviewed the president one-on-one, it was great. It was great in every sense. It was a really productive interview. He made more news than I could ever imagine. And it was, it was a game changer. The second time I interviewed him, uh, he, you know, was sort of flat that day. He had other things on his mind that he wanted to do. I got as much out of him as I could. 
But, you know, my boss was like, okay, what's next? I'm like, I, you know, I just landed an exclusive interview with the president of the United States that made news and went <laughs> like, like, we're, I mean, yeah. that, that day, like what else you got? And so like, that's where I was. Yeah. And, wow. you know, I'd rather, if you're going to do that, like, well, I'm going to hang out with my son and mm-hmm. play with him and be with him. And, and so, you know, if I have to sacrifice a little bit on the, I'm not going to fly around and drive the national debate on Air Force One. Okay. I did it. Let me help people tell their stories, but I'm going to be over here being a more active dad. And that's where this moment about the, the book coming out for me isn't just about in May and June of 2022, my first book got published. That's great. I hope you like it. Move on. I actually want it to be a new chapter for me in how do we think and broaden the explanation of what a modern dad is. And that's why this is so fulfilling. So I wanted to ask, Ben, you uh, you mentioned uh to me before our conversation that Sam's teachers recently learned about the book in kind of an interesting way. And I didn't know if you had a story there that you wanted to share. Oh yeah. So the team that's helping me get the word out about the book is the same team who is helping Colin Kaepernick with his new book, Colin Kaepernick, the the former pro NFL star, you know, turned social justice activist. And so I mentioned to, to Sam that Colin Kaepernick and I share the same publicist. And he's like, oh, that's really interesting. And why that was interesting to him is because in his class, his, he, he was learning about famous athletes who have done good in the world. And he, they all had to model somebody and do a whole poster board. And, and he chose Colin Kaepernick right at the same moment that Kaepernick puts out a book and we, you know, I'm noticing that the team helping him is the team helping me. So fast forward to, you know, this was like two weeks ago. He's at the playground. His class gets to go and have this nice day outside because they were so well behaved. And his two core teachers uh, were talking about Colin Kaepernick on the playground. And Sam goes, yeah, <clears throat> we, yeah we, sh- we share the same publisher. <laughs> and that's all he said. They had heard nothing about the book. And, they're, you know, no he's a 10-year-old. And they said, you wait, what do you mean you share Like you published too? He's like, oh yeah, that the book that my dad and I are doing, you know? And and so so then when That's I saw that her the next day, she's like, I don't really understand what the hell's going on, but somehow your son thinks that you and Colin Kaepernick share the same publisher. I'm like, well, it's publicist, but she's like, you might want to work on his marketing because he downplayed the hell out of that. Like he didn't really explain oh, anything. Man. I'm like, and Sam is standing next to us beaming with a smile. Like, yeah, you know, he's, yeah, yeah. he's yeah. the core of the story. I'm like, why didn't you offer some context? Like <laughs> my dad wrote a book. Here's what it's called. Here's why he wrote it. And he's like, ah, you know, right. Yeah. So you're going to yeah, you're gonna have to give him a couple, a couple of uh, scripted lines, uh, the, your, the <laughs> elevator know. pitch, yeah. right? That's hilarious. Now I, I would imagine that to him, sharing a publicist with Colin Kaepernick is probably way cooler than personally knowing president Obama and, and, you know, president. Absolutely. And that's how he, that's how he shared it. It was just cool. Yeah. 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 I know we might do lunch. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. It was really funny. So dads, the book has just been released. Ben's got a great website set up for the book at bigproblemslittleproblems.com. Uh, you can send your partner there to order you a copy for Father's Day. And we'll include a link to that website in the show notes. Uh, ben Feller, it's been a really great chat. Thank you so much for for making time to join us. Adam and Mark, thank you both. I, I enjoyed it a lot and I appreciate your support for the book and, and everything you guys do. So 
So we have a, we have a small handful of these recurring segments, one of which seems to happen less frequently, more Correct. intermittently than the others. Periodic. It happens. It's a recurring segment that happens periodically is what you're saying. That's right. And it's called <clears throat> Confessions. When my kids do something that I've asked them not to do like a thousand times, like slam the toilet lid or eat the toothpaste off the toothbrush without actually brushing, I like to excuse myself to a different room just out of earshot and whisper, fucking kids. Confessions. Confessions. When we visit somewhere that has a pool, I'm the parent, without fail, who swims with the kids. Sometimes, as a negotiation tool with my wife, I will act like that's an inconvenience. Truth is, I always have fun in the pool with the kids. Confessions. 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 When my kids watch Blippy, and I overhear that part of the theme song that goes, so much to learn about, it'll make you want to shout, Blippy! I excuse myself to a different room, just out of earshot, and I whisper, saying, so much to learn about, it'll make you want to shout, kill me! Confessions. 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 One of my biggest pet peeves is the phrase pet peeve. Confessions. Confessions. When I'm getting short on patience and feel like I'm about to say something mean to one of my kids, I, I excuse myself from the room and I go and I whisper the mean thing to my cat because Fuck that cat. Confessions. My girls are at an age where they think the word butt cheek is about the funniest and most inappropriate thing they can say. It takes everything I have to restrain myself from teaching them some really funny words. Confessions. Confessions. I feel better. Do you always you have a, better? Do you always feel a sense of relief after you confess? Yes. I just I just like I just like being able to say these things, get them out. You know, I like to get them out. Dad's Modern Dadhood can be found at moderndadhood.com. There's a library of every episode we've ever done there. You can also find the podcast on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, really anywhere you listen to podcasts. Just search Modern Dadhood. And please, wherever you subscribe, leave us a quick rating and review. It goes a long way to helping us spread the word about this show. You can also follow Modern Dadhood on Instagram, Facebook, Check us out on YouTube, hit the old subscribe button, or note, or don't. 
I would love for our listeners to, for each of our listeners to tell a friend about Modern Dadhood, a friend who they think might be interested in it, because word of mouth is so very important and so very helpful to us. You know, you can also uh, buy t-shirts and dad hoodies on our, um, on our website. And no guarantees, but if you buy a t-shirt or a dad hoodie and you want to get it in time for Father's Day, mm-hmm. send right us a note. Send us a note along with the order and say, please try to get this to me for Father's Day and we will do everything we can to make that happen. And we'll be honest with you if it can happen. You know, Adam, I'd love to thank a few people, if I may. Thank you to Casper, Baby Pants, and Spencer Albee for the music that you hear on Modern Dadhood. Thank you to Pete Morse at Red Vault Audio for fading the faders and turning the turnies and sliding the sliders to make us sound absolutely spectacular in your ear holes. And a huge thank you to Ben Feller for joining us on the show. Don't forget to pick up his book, Big Problems, Little Problems. And Mark, even though you took all those thanks, I still can't do your ending. This is all you. So please end the show for us. I appreciate you, man. And thank you for listening.